may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome uh, to Mercy House. If uh, you're elementary age kid, you are welcome to go down uh, for the class downstairs. These guys. Nice. So we're in the second week in the book of Acts. Uh, Hopefully you're finding Acts in your Bibles there. There's Bibles on the floor. There's Bibles probably on your phone. Maybe you brought your Bible, but uh, fifth book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in the second chapter. And pretty much each week we're going to be in another, the next chapter. So if you're reading along, which I would encourage you to do, uh, to be reading each uh, chapter a week. And uh, the chapter two, I actually spent two weeks on. So if you're behind, you can catch up this week. And you do one and two, and then you'll be ready for next, next week. Uh, we learned last week that the church is this father-initiated, Christ-centered, spirit in power, kingdom-advancing group of people who are empowered to be the witnesses of Christ for God, right? That's what, that's what we learned last week, that there's this, this father-initiated, Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, kingdom-advancing group of witnesses for Jesus. And that kingdom is to be advancing not just inside Jerusalem, not just inside Judea, not just inside Samaria, but to the other ends of the world. And after Jesus told them that, you would have thought they would be ready to to charge, to to head out, to start advancing the gospel, but he doesn't tell them that. The first command that he gives them is, now I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit, which really set up this Thing that we just heard about, read uh, by uh, Isabel, the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And I'm sure as the disciples walked away from their conversations with Jesus, who said, wait for the Holy Spirit, you're not ready yet, they were thinking, wow, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? This is, this is going to be amazing. And indeed it is. And this is what we find out, what the Holy Spirit is going uh, to do when we read Uh, from Acts chapter 2. Now, Pentecost was a yearly celebration where Jews that were spread all over the Roman Empire would make a pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So something that had happened 1,500 years before the, the event of Pentecost. And so what they're thinking about, what they're remembering is an event that's described in Exodus 19. And I'm going to read this so you can kind of know what what they're thinking when they experience uh, Pentecost. So it says in Exodus 19, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood there, took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. So this is what they're thinking about and reflecting on as they're celebrating Pentecost. They're, they're thinking about 
the, the people of God hearing a sound, right? They're hearing this sound that sounds like a trumpet. They're, they're, they're seeing something. They're seeing fire and a cloud coming down. And they're hearing God speak to Moses. And these are all signs that are provided by God so that the people of God can know that this is, this is really happening. Like this thing that Moses said was going to happen, it's happening. And here's the proof. And, and there's a lot of parallels between this experience that God's people had 1,500 years before when they were with Moses and the experience that they have at Pentecost here with the apostles. So Acts chapter 2 that you just heard read You hear this, that the day of Pentecost arrived and they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So there's some similarities to what the people of God experienced at Mount Sinai 1,500 years before and what they're experiencing in this moment in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. They hear a sound. Right? They hear this mighty rushing wind. They, they see fire, except instead of it being this kind of scary fire, judgment kind of fire, it's, it's fire over each of the heads of the apostles. And not only do they have something they hear and something they see, uh, but, but they're, they're hearing speaking. And it's supernatural speaking. Now, it's, it's similar, but it's also different, right? Especially the speaking. The, the speaking's not coming directly from a cloud, like from heaven to them, but it's coming through human beings. But it's supernatural all the same. Now, what, what, what's the nature of this, this speech, Verse 5 of Acts 2 says, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own language? So they are amazed, right? They, they are seeing these very ordinary people. In fact, they're Galileans. And Galileans were known for their sort of backwoodsy accent. People could pick up on who they were pretty quickly, just the, the way that they, they talked. Um, they were looked down on. This is partly why you see this phrase, the, Gal- the Galileans. How, how is it that these uncultured, uneducated people could speak this way? And it's rather impressive to me. I tried to learn four languages in the course of my life, one of which was English. And I'm, I'm still working on that, okay? I, I, I admit that. Um, I tried to learn Spanish. I took Spanish in high school. I took four classes of Spanish uh, in uh, college. Uh, I took four classes of Greek uh, in seminary. I, I took two classes of Hebrew in seminary, and I, still, I'm still working on English. I, I can't speak Spanish. I can't speak Greek. I, I can't speak Hebrew. And so many, so many flashcards were given. 
for, for the purpose of me learning these languages. So, so when I see them speaking a language that they didn't know five minutes before, it's impressive, right? It's supernatural. And the people at Pentecost were impressed as well. The, the, this Greek word that's translated bewildered, it, it, it means to be stirred up, discombobulated. They, they have no category for what they're experiencing. He, he uses multiple words to describe this amazement, astonishment. I was thinking about times when I had no category for what I was experiencing. I was thinking the first time that I was in a stadium with 100,000 screaming fans at a football game. I was just like, ah, I, I got no category for this, right? Or I'm standing at the Grand Canyon and looking at it for the first time. I, I, I just can't, I, I can't take this in. And, and there's something akin to this that, that they were experiencing. Like, I, I have no category for these uncultured high school dropouts here that are speaking languages that they didn't know five minutes before. But Jesus did tell them that something along these lines was going to happen. Right? Acts 1.8, back there in, in, first, in the first chapter, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Pentecost is, is a snapshot of the cosmic King Jesus getting done exactly what he said he was going to get done, and that he was going to use these ordinary people with the power of the Holy Spirit to, to get the gospel out to all the nations. Again, these uncultured, uneducated, very unlikely, ordinary people used by a powerful God as he unleashes his spirit into their lives, and they wind up talking to people in their own heart language, people all over the Roman Empire. You can see on this, this map all the different groups that are mentioned, at least by Luke. I'm sure there were more. But these folks, some of them were 2,500 miles away. Rome, at least by land, is like 2,500 miles from Jerusalem. These folks that were there for Pentecost were fairly sophisticated people. They could speak multiple languages. They had uh, lots of resources. I mean, you don't pick up and, and travel somewhere if you don't have some resources where you have a staff to leave behind to take care of the things at home and money to travel and that you even care enough about Pentecost, to load up the family and travel there. These are sophisticated people. And here, they're hearing their, their language spoken by people that should not be able to speak their language. That's a cool story, but why does it matter? What, what are the implications of, of this Experience. I mean, God could have chosen all kinds of different ways to inaugurate his church, to, to show the working of the Holy Spirit, but this is the way that he, he chooses. What, what is he saying? What is he communicating about the work of the Holy Spirit? So I've got four points and then a few little applications under each point. Uh, so the first point is that the Holy Spirit makes the mission of the church unstoppable. It is unstoppable. 
the cosmic king Jesus in this moment is displaying how he is going to get the mission done. Uh, he says again in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He doesn't say, I hope you'll be my witnesses. Maybe if you would, please, I beg, be my witnesses. He, it's not how he talks about it. He says, church, you will be my witnesses. This gospel will get to the nations. When he's talking to uh, the disciples about the church back in Matthew 16, and he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The cosmic king Jesus, who has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he will accomplish the mission that he has set forth through his church. The mission is unstoppable. And a big part of why it's unstoppable is because it's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, think about this. This is day one. I'd say the Holy Spirit's doing pretty well. <laughs> He's doing a pretty good job. I mean, I don't know how many times I've said this when we're kind of like thinking about and struggling. What do we do and how do we reach these campuses and what about the, how do we reach the valley? And I will, I will say, you know, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to do. Holy Spirit's not wringing his hands and going, oh, what to do with Hampshire College? I don't know how to reach it. No, he knows how to do it. He knows how to empower the church to accomplish the mission. The mission is unstoppable. The disciples don't sit around and come up with an Acts 1-8 strategy. They don't go looking for some backers, come up with a business plan. The Holy Spirit, he is initiating. The Holy Spirit is empowering. It doesn't mean... That you shouldn't plan doesn't mean that there's something wrong with getting financial backers, all those things. But, but what makes this thing happen, what's the, pr the primary mover of the church is, is the Holy Spirit of God. The cosmic King Jesus is accomplishing it. So what's an application for that? Well, one application is, and there's many, but one is don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take yourself so seriously. The mission of the church is not on your shoulders. It's on the shoulders of Jesus, who's ascended to the right hand of the Father, who has all power, and he is going to get the mission done. That is who is carrying the weight of the mission. That should cause us to pray a lot. It should cause us to rely on the Holy Spirit. It should cause us to attempt great things because we know that those things that we do are not just what we could come up in our own, our own strength, our own resources, but something that cosmic King Jesus through the power of the Spirit can accomplish. We ought not take ourselves so seriously. I know that the church in town used to have a big banner out front that says, God needs you. God don't need you, okay? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being honest. He don't need you. He's going to get it done one way or the other. And he's inviting you in to yield, to trust, to believe in such a way that you can be a part of what he is already doing. But I'm letting you know, when he wraps this thing up, he's going to have the mission completed. It's going to be perfect. So don't think, take yourself so seriously. I, I don't know how many uh, conversations I've had with church planters that want to sit down and want to talk to me and say, Hey, tell me about your model. Tell me about your strategy at Mercy House. T tell me what you did. How did you, you plant a church in Amherst? And 
uh, you know, and we talk about our story and we talk about our finances or lack thereof and, and how this thing came about. And they go, really? And I remember sitting in a, in a, in a circle one time and there was a staff worker and, uh, and, and the staff worker was in there and he, he said, uh, yeah, this church is a joke. And he wasn't being mean. He was like, it's, it's like God's joke. It defies reason. That this church started, that this church sustains, that it continues. And it's, how does it continue? It continues because God sustains it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's not take ourselves too seriously. Second truth is the Holy Spirit empowers human beings to speak about Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers human beings to speak about Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit is obviously bringing about these, these signs, this fire, this wind, but that's not really what Luke draws attention to, and it's not really what the people are amazed about. What they're amazed about is this supernatural speaking. Now, what are they, what are they speaking about? Now, we know what they're speaking about because we get a little bit of, uh, of a snippet from Peter who gives an impromptu sermon. It's really the first Christian sermon of all time. And what precipitates it is a question that's asked from the crowd or, or a statement that's made where they say, these guys are drunk. Now, I've been around drunk, some drunk people, right? And what I notice if there's, is their speech doesn't get better, <laughs> it gets worse. So I'm not real sure about the logic of that statement, but that is indeed what they say. So Peter quotes from the prophet Joel. It's something about the Holy Spirit being poured out on everyone. And then he rolls right into talking about guess who? Talking about Jesus. Right. Here's, here's some snippets from that sermon in Acts 2. You can follow along in your Bible or you can look on the screen. He says this in Acts 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Amen, Peter. Verse 32, he goes back at it, talking about Jesus. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, being received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit is empowering them to, in different languages, speak about Jesus. And not just Jesus, moral teacher. Right? Jesus, one of the many spiritual leaders of the world. Jesus, the crucified, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father and who will return. That, that Jesus. That's, that's who they're talking about, and that's what the Holy Spirit is empowering them to talk about. And why is he doing this? Well, look at what happens, right? Verse 37 of Acts 2, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent 
Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When they hear about Jesus, it says that they're, they're cut to the heart. And Jesus, or Peter, is, it's like his first sermon, so he doesn't give them any kind of like response. He like, doesn't tell them what to do, and they're like, Peter, what do we do? And he's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's right. Last part, gotta give that. You need to repent. Right? And there's different words that get translated repent in our Bibles, but, but this one means you need to change your mind. You need to change your mind. These, these pilgrims that came in to, to Pentecost on, on that day, they, they were thinking, we're right with God. We are following the law. I mean, look at us. We're traveling a long distance to be a part of this festival. And, and, and we are in the club. Like, we are part of of God's children. And Peter's like, no, you're separated because of your sin. You need a mind shift here. And you need a savior. And he says, repent, change your mind. And then he says, be baptized. Why does he say be baptized? Uh, He's saying, believe, right? This is the external way that you indicate, I believe in the gospel. And I I think partly why uh, Jesus instituted baptism as a way to profess your faith is because it takes your whole self. It's not just something you you change your mind about. It it includes that, right? It's not less than that. It is a truth claim. The gospel is news, and we need to believe it rightly, but we don't just baptize our brains. We baptize our whole person. And so when we put saving faith in the gospel, we are trusting with mind, with will, with emotion, with our our whole bodies. And so we display that when we get baptized and we go under the water and we come back out. And so this was what they were told to do, repent, as in change your mind and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how is that happening I mean, the sermon's pretty forthright. Like he's saying, you crucified him, right? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is bringing them under conviction. Jesus told them that that was going to happen. Back in John chapter 16, before his crucifixion and death and resurrection and ascension, he's explaining to them about the work of the Holy Spirit. He says this in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if you do not go away... The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so he's letting them know. Here's part of the job description of the Holy Spirit. He's going to cause the world, that's those that are outside the church, don't know Jesus yet, to be convicted. They're going to have a sense of their sin and, and that there is a standard, that's the righteousness part, and that they're under judgment. And why would the Spirit cause that kind of a, of a sense of sin, righteousness, and judgment? Because then they run to the Savior. They realize they have a need. If you don't know you need Jesus, you're not going to be that interested in Jesus. But if you come under conviction by the Holy Spirit, you will come to the Savior. And that kind of conviction is experienced when you preach the gospel, when you speak of Jesus, right? The Apostle Paul explains this in this really short verse. It's a wonderful summary, I think, of how 
this works in Romans 10, 17. He says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. People exercise faith in Christ when they hear the gospel preached. Now, when I say preached, I don't just mean you got to come to a, a, a service like this and hear a preacher preach a sermon. It could be preached across a table at a coffee shop. It can be preached you know, in a dorm room or at, 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 in a neighborhood somewhere, in a home or around a dinner table. But, but this proclamation of this good news about who Jesus is, his death, his burial, and the resurrection, and the implications of that, this is what's preached. And when that is preached, there's the potential that faith would come out of the hearing. Amen? Happens here all the time. Happens here all the time. And if you're a Christian, then that's happened to you, where you've heard the gospel and you respond with saving faith. So applications for, for that one is, uh, if you're not a Christian, become a Christian today. If you know what I'm describing here, you're like, I'm under conviction. I've come under this rea- to this reality that I am a sinner, that I'm under judgment, that, that I can't save myself, that I don't just need Jesus to kind of tweak my life a little bit and make it a little bit better, but, but I need him to radically save me. I, I need forgiveness. So if you, you've experienced that conviction, then run to the Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's, he's leading you to the Savior. He's, he's not just wanting you to stay under conviction, right, to, to feel the, the weight of that judgment, but to, to be released from that as you run to the Savior and experience forgiveness and reconciliation with God. So trust in Christ today. And again, not just with your mind, although it includes that, definitely includes that. It is not less than that. You, you, you have to understand the truth claims and, and, and believe those truth claims. But it is a trust that is deeper than that. It is your whole person, mind, will, and emotions. For those of you that are Christians, it means we need to speak up. We need to speak up about the gospel. People can't come to faith in Christ. Faith does not come from seeing how awesome you are and the way you live your life. Now, certainly, it can be part of the demonstration of the gospel. It can, it can authenticate the gospel. It's important. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not important. But that will not help anyone come to faith in Christ. They must hear or at least read the gospel. And so as Christians, as we look at this, we need to speak up. Now, you may be saying, I, I just can't do that. I, I don't, I, my, my words aren't that great. I don't know the gospel that well. I know it enough to be a Christian. I, I don't think I can do that when that brings us to our third point. The Holy Spirit uses humans who are grossly underqualified for the task. Grossly un- underqualified for the task. I mean, this is the most powerful sign of Pentecost. The Galileans. <laughs> How could God use Galileans? <laughs> oh my gosh, come on. That's impossible. That's the sign. It's still the sign that God would use people like you and me to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. It's part of how God authenticates. And it's part of how he draws attention to the gospel and not to the person that is delivering it. I know sometimes we feel like, oh, I just have to be the perfect example, the perfect witness so that everyone will want to become a Christian around me. 
oftentimes it, it's a humble witness. It's an authentic witness. It's a weak witness that's empowered by the very powerful Holy Spirit. That, that, that's how the gospel gets demonstrated and proclaimed. And so if you're saying, I'm not qualified, you're perfect for the job. You're perfect for the job. And the Holy Spirit will use you mightily. Now, again, Jesus, he told them that would happen. Back in Matthew 10, when he was training them, trying to get them ready for what they were going to experience, and he says in Matthew 10, verse 18, you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Doesn't that sound fun? Yeah. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. He's letting them know. When even you're, you're under duress, you're being dragged before a magistrate, your life is in danger. Even then, you will have power to speak. Holy Spirit will not let you down. He will equip you. He will show you what you need to say. Don't worry about it. He let them know that even though they were grossly unqualified, the Holy Spirit would empower them to do that. I had such a fun conversation with Wang and Jenny Lee last weekend. Some of you met them. They were visiting. Wang was actually part of our church in 1999. He was going to UMass. He went back to South Korea, and then he ended up meeting Jenny, who's from Taiwan. And so they started dating, got married four years ago. And then they moved to Taiwan, and now they're doing ministry there, getting the gospel out to those in, in Taiwan. And so we were asking Jenny about her background. It's the first time we really had met her. And she had been, when she was in her late teens, a part of a, a ministry called YWAM, so Youth with a Mission. And so she, she was like, yeah, I got my training, and then we went to northern rural China. And she's like, there was no, there was no cars, no roads. We were going on paths. We were doing all kinds of different transportation to get up into these small rural villages. And, and then we would get to the village, and there was, it was just a small team because they didn't want to draw attention to themselves and get kicked out uh, by the government. And so when they would come into these, these rural villages, there'd be about 40 pastors from a bunch of other rural villages that would come together in one room. And Jenny, who was a teenager, would then help train those pastors you know how she did that? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a crazy picture to think about. 18-year-old, 19-year-old training pastors of all ages to go back into their churches and to minister to their churches and get the gospel out in northern China. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was taking someone who on paper was unqualified for that job. No, we, we, would, we would think, oh, no, let's send a seminary professor. <laughs> let's spend, spend someone that's much more qualified. Seminary professor might not have been as willing to go to northern China as Jenny was, but Jenny was willing to do it and was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. You can do this. Whatever it is that God calls you to, you can do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number four, Holy Spirit is empowering the church to provide gospel witness to every people group on the planet. The Holy Spirit is empowering the church to provide a gospel witness to every people group on the planet. 
He was not just a savior king for the Jews. He's, he's a savior king for all people. This is a tall task, a tall task. But it is not just probable, but will happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the application is to leverage the privilege that you have for the glory of God and the good of the nations. Leverage it. Usually when we talk about privilege, we talk about economic privilege, and that's a helpful conversation. And no Christian should think that any kind of economic wealth that they have is something that they deserve, they are entitled to. It's because of their hard work. No, it's a gift from God. But so is gospel privilege. And if you have the gospel, you have privilege. You have gospel privilege. And there's a whole lot of people around the globe, they don't have the gospel. There's about 7,000 unreached people groups around the globe, which is about 4.4 billion people. Now, unreached means that less than 2% know the gospel. Honestly, where we live, it's similar <laughs> in a lot of ways, although this place was gospeled and then it lost the gospel, but in a lot of ways that less than 2% really are trusting in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are, are many around the world that, that don't have access to a gospel witness. I'll tell you a little story about Daniel. Um, I'm not going to tell you too much about him because he's kind of going in China incognito. Some of you know his daughters because they go to one of our colleges here. And I got to meet uh, Daniel uh, like a year back or so back, and we're talking, and he, he says, yeah, I was a pastor in China. And I knew I was in some hot water, and I needed to get out. And so I escaped with my family, and I did some seminary training uh, in the U.S. And then I realized that the gospel really needed to go out to all the nations, including out from China to all the nations. And he said, when I was a pastor in China, I just thought about China. And that's understandable, because there are a lot of people that need the gospel in China. And so he's concentrating on that. But then once he got outside the country and started thinking about the, the, the Great Commission, right? the, the sending out of the church to all the nations, he realized, no, not only do the Christians in China need to be thinking about China, they need to be thinking about all the nations. And so now he's back in China for the purpose of working with pastors in China to send out people from their church, churches to the nations to make sure that the gospel goes out from there. Every church, no matter where it is, no matter how big it is, how small it is, how much money it has, how much money it doesn't have, it is sent by the Holy Spirit to get the gospel to the nations. I've fallen into that same, same kind of trap being around here. It feels like we've got a lot of mission here. Like, why, why look outside when there's so many people that need the gospel on these campuses and in these communities? But I, I know better. I, I know that every church, including Mercy House, needs to have a global vision for how the gospel gets out to the nations. So out of some of that wrestling and praying came this idea to make an impact in the Dominican Republic. And we started working in a community there uh, called Las Melvinas in uh, Santo Domingo. 
And folks there live on about $2 a day, some of the worst poverty in the world. And we've taken several trips there. But then Kevin Maforte, who you see there in the middle, uh, who very innovative guy, he's, he's like, let's begin a business there called Esperanza Soaps. And we'll put to work some of the women in the community so that they can have a better living. And we can also share the gospel with them in the community as, as we go. And so we did that as a church. We helped. We funded that. We went there on trips. We uh, supported uh, Kevin. And now Krista Webb, who's there on the right, she has just landed on the ground just a, a couple of weeks ago. And she's now serving there full time. Uh, to serve the people in Las Malvinas and to help with Esperanza Soaps. And so this, this is a way that, that our church has gotten outside of our walls to another nation. And, and I think one of the things is we can begin to get overwhelmed with all the needs and all the possibilities, and so we just don't do anything. Don't let that happen. Do something. Right? Pray about how God would have you participate in His global Mission, and this is this is one of the ways that that you can, because our, our church has been uh, behind this effort. Something else I want to draw your attention to is something called the Joshua Project. Uh, the Joshua Project, their whole thing is to let people know about the unreached people groups that I've been talking about. Those seven thousand, they have an app that will re- give you a notification every day, and you, it'll tell you about a different people group. We'll give you just a brief snapshot of them, what their prayer needs are, how reached they are, how unreached they are, and you can pray for them. And so I would enc- I encourage you to download that app and to start to pray. And what might happen is that one of those people groups may draw, it may kind of catch your attention, and you may find yourself wanting to go a little bit deeper in, in, in knowing more about that group, praying for that group, maybe giving some funds to help a missionary of that group, maybe even going yourself. Participate in this global mission that God and his, his powerful Holy Spirit is on. So some ways that you can do that. One, obviously, is to pray, right? To download that app or pray for a missionary that maybe you know about. To, to pray for a country that's unreached. To participate at some, on some level in prayer for those who are unreached in the nations. Uh, one of those that you could pray for is the Holloway family. Uh, the Holloway family is in East Asia, and they are near a university. I can't tell you where they are, partly, again, because they're kind of going in incognito, and they're sharing the gospel there. Uh, and they've just gotten there just a few months ago. And as you can see, they, they were living the, the good life, right? They had the, the, the kids and the house and the jobs, and they were like, God's called us to go to another nation that needs the gospel. And they packed it up, and they went, and they are serving there and, and getting to know people and sharing the gospel. If you want to pray for them in a more intentional way, I've got some information about them. They actually went out from our church. They were part of our church, and so we are one of the sending churches for them. If you want to pray for them, I've got some information, and you can take uh, their card uh, from me. Uh, you can also give. Right? Missionaries need money. Right? Missions need money. They, they, they need to be supported, not just with prayer, but with, with money. Um, your local church is on a mission, right? And so that's where your giving begins, I believe, is in the local church and, 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 and uh, giving toward the mission of the local church. That money in and of itself goes to things outside the, these walls, in fact, like 10% of anything that comes in on, on Sunday morning offerings. 
we actually use that to support ministries that are outside of us. Again, why would you do that? You can, that's crazy. We don't have the money to... No, we want to be a sending church. We want to be a church that also participates in the global mission uh, of God. One of the ways that, that those funds helped uh, ministries outside our walls, this is uh, Tim and Tony uh, Robinson, and they're with uh, Haven Church, the brand new church plant in Fitchburg, Mass. And uh, they are just right there near Fitchburg State. And they're, they're reaching people with the gospel, both in Fitchburg and on the university campus. And some of those monies that were part of that 10% that we kept back for, for church planting and other ministries, we were able to give them like about 6000 bucks to help them get into a space this September so they could launch and they could begin services. And, and, and so they are moving forward uh, in, a, in a really powerful way, baptizing some people, reaching some people. And Mercy House, you were, you were part of that. You were also part of the Holloways that I showed you earlier. You, we helped them with startup funds and getting them uh, to their location. Uh, th- that was in part that part of that 10% that is given on Sunday morning. So to pray and to give and to go. To go. I mean, the, we're interacting with all kinds of nations, Right, You're interacting with all kinds of different nations, especially those of you that are college students. Many of these nations are unreached. And you have the opportunity to give the gospel to them here and for them to then go home and share that gospel. This is already happening in our church. Students have come to faith in Christ here, go back for Christmas break, and are sharing the gospel with their parents and their family. It's happened multiple times. In this place. So it's possible to reach the nations by being faithful to the relationships that are in your own backyard. Now, it it takes some courage, it takes some stepping out of your usual comfort zone and talking to the people that are are like you and sound like you and have a similar culture to you. You, You've got to get out of of that world in order to, to befriend those that are outside your culture. But man, what an honor to to give the gospel and to befriend people that from different countries, uh, and to get the gospel out that way. For, for many of us, I think going on short-term mission experiences, I think, let me be honest, everyone should do that. Everyone should do that. It's so encouraging to get outside of your usual context and see church done in a different culture, in a different country, in a different language, to participate in the work of God in another country. And so short-term missions is a way that you can go. And for some of you, you are called to just go, to pack up, to leave the life that you know behind, and to go be a missionary somewhere. And for some of you, that will be with an official sort of mission organization, and you'll raise support and be an official missionary. But for many of you, it just means you're going to take your engineering degree, your accounting degree, or your nursing degree, and you're going to take that degree, and you're going to use it as your ticket to another country, and you're going to plop down in that country and do that job and share the gospel as you do that job. This is the way that the 7,000 people groups are going to be reached. And again... Many of you are millennials in this, in, the, in this room. Your generation is going to get this done. You're going to get this done. In the power of God's Spirit, you're going to get this done. Like I said at the very beginning, it's not, it's not on your shoulders, but it is, it is a privilege 
that because of the internet, because of the ease of travel, there's so many things that are coming together in this moment, your cultural moment, that are not just ways to make your life better and make it awesome and make it selfie-worthy, but to make it a platform for the gospel to go out and to reach the unreached. And so for some of you in the room, God, God is calling you through the power of his Holy Spirit this morning to go, to pack it up, and to go. We celebrate these realities every time we come to this, this table. We talked about, a little bit about this last week where Jesus is with his disciples and he's, he's saying to them on the night on which he's betrayed, he takes bread, he breaks it, gives thanks for it. He says to them, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He wants them to, to go back to the cross. He wants them to remember the crucified Christ. And in the same way, he takes the cup, and after he had blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant. He's talking about the covenant community of the church, the, the covenant community that is now made up of brothers and sisters in Christ that are now filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just the prophet that has the Spirit. It's not, it's not just the king that has the Spirit, not just the priest. It's everyone, every, every person from every culture Men, women, every socioeconomic level, whatever the, 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 the characteristic is, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're in that covenant community. It's like this covenant community that was made possible by the, the expensive pouring out of His blood for our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. He says, as often as you drink this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so when we, when we come up here and we take this bread and we take this cup, we were reminded we were in communion with God, that, that we had come to that place where we heard the gospel and we had that change of mind. And, and because of that change of mind, we put saving faith of our mind and will and emotion, we put that saving faith in Christ, the crucified one. And because of that, we are now in communion with God. But not only that, we're in communion with each other. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, come from all kinds of different backgrounds, different cultures, but because of the gospel and because of the spirit that dwells in us as individuals and in us as a church, we are now in communion with each other. But there's plenty to go around. Because so as we experience this, this communion with God, communion with each other, we also should be thinking about all these people that are out here who don't know about it. Hey, we've got plenty. Come on in. They're, they're not hearing. Okay, so you guys are going to have to go out later. And you're going to have to tell them. Right? That, that's part of what we're doing when we're, when we're coming together, celebrating this communion with God, communion with each other, but also coming to a place of extreme gratitude for the privilege that we have because of the gospel. And then willing to then go and share that with the world. Amen? So again, I would encourage those of you that... You, you, you've come to that place of conviction and you want to put your faith and trust in Christ this morning. Do that. Do that. And if you have, then we welcome you to this table to celebrate communion with God, communion with each other. 
if you're here this morning and you haven't gotten to that place where you're ready to trust, you're investigating, you're here considering, we're really glad that you're here. And I want to encourage you to remain in your seat at this time as we're taking this communion and to think about what you're hearing and to pray about it and then continue the conversation. I'll be down front after the service. I'll be in the back during the communion time. would love to talk more about that. There's some books on the little table there at the exit here on the right, the Basics of Christianity. There's one just called The Gospel. There's Bibles there. But to begin to explore this, if, if you're not at a place where you're like, sign me up, don't just walk away. Begin to explore that and to talk about it with friends and, and, and folks that you know here, okay? So I'm going to pray, and then uh, when you're ready, you can come up. God, thank you for this privilege to know you, that through whatever means, we've heard the gospel, and it is the, the riches of Christ. It's just this amazing gift that's been given to us, and it has radically changed our life, both in this life and the life to come. And so, God, we are grateful for that, and we are reminded of the expensive nature of that as we take this bread and cup, and we ask your blessing over it, and we give you thanks for it and for what it reminds us of. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.